The Water Values Podcast, Session 134. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. got a great show for you today. We have Peggy Gallows of the Association of Environmental Authorities of New Jersey. She's the executive director uh, and she's a really knowledgeable uh, person who works for uh, the, the trade organization out there. And, you know, she just does a great job talking about some of the challenges uh, that that water and sewer utilities face in New Jersey, and I think you're going to find that uh, that a lot of these challenges are very similar to what utilities in other states are facing. Uh, but she, I think, has a, some unique insights into those uh, challenges and a really a, a very good perspective on uh, just the, the utility sector in general and how. Uh, the utility sector deals with some of those challenges, whether it be, uh, you know, kind of the P3 area, whether it be asset management, whether it be dealing with the legislature, you know, they're there. So I, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing uh, Peggy's thoughts on this. And she does a fantastic job and we'll get to her in just a moment. But we got another five star review on Apple Podcasts, So thank you, whoever you are. I'm sure it was a rating. We got another five star rating on Apple Podcasts. So whoever you are out there who uh, uh, provided that five-star rating, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, we are now at 96 ratings on Apple Podcasts. So again, we're trying to get to 100 ratings uh, by the end of the year. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please go on Apple Podcasts and give the Water Values Podcast a five-star rating. And if you have time or if you are so inclined, please leave a review because that really helps uh, other folks uh, understand why they ought to listen to the podcast. So thank you again for that. And with that, I, we are ready to get rolling with Peggy Gallo. So here it is. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Peggy, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Glad to be here. Oh, it's great to speak with you again. For those who aren't familiar with you, could you please tell us a little about who you are and how you got interested in water? of environmental authorities. We are a trade association primarily serving the public agencies that provide water, wastewater, and solid waste utility service in New Jersey. Uh, we also have uh, um, private sector members as well. My uh, interest in water uh, comes, um, I guess you'd say, out of public policy. I was in early in my career uh, a journalist in New Jersey, so I was covering um, planning boards, school boards, and I was learning a lot about sort of basic public policy issues in those days. I did public relations and that type of thing for a while. Uh, eventually, though, I went back and got my master's in public policy, and uh, I was actually elected to a school board. So. I kind of got interested in that whole area and uh, ended up working at the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities for five years. Uh, so, of course, uh, water uh, is one of the utilities that's regulated, uh, at least in part, by the BPU. And so I had some involvement that way. 
Uh, I also had had some association management background um, during the public relations communications phase of my career. So uh, eventually this, this job came up and, and I just, it's a wonderful job and it gives me uh, a lot of um, a lot of involvement, you know, using many of the uh, skills that I've acquired over the, the year, the knowledge of public policy and also uh, obviously communications and, and that type of thing. Uh, the association does lobbying. Uh, we do um, monitoring of regulation that uh, affects our members. And we also do public education and we um, comment for our members um, in, in the public uh, forum, so to speak. So it's a very uh, a varied um, work. It's a very varied job for me. And um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of the whole story in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. I mean, uh, it's, it's, I always find it interesting how people found their way into the water industry. And, and you, you coming from that journalism background is uh, certainly interesting. Um, uh, you, you told us a little about the New Jersey Association of Environmental Authorities. You know, kind of, kind of, could you expand on that just a little bit in terms of, um, uh, you know, what the scope is, uh, you know, your mission, things of that nature? Sure. Uh, we are really here to help our members uh, do their jobs um, as best as they can. We have members that are very large uh, from Passaic Valley Sewage Commission, which is uh, has one of the largest treatment plants in the, in the country, uh, down to quite small, um, a local municipal utilities authority. And uh, so we're trying to basically give them the information they need and uh, get, it, um, get it to them. Uh, and we can do that there via simple emails to them or through our conferences. We have many, obviously many ways of doing that with our members. We also provide a we're kind of a platform for members to speak to each other and help one another. Uh, and then we also are uh, communicating kind of in the other direction. So for example, uh, if there is a bill that affects our members, uh, we may be uh, going to testify to the legislature and um, advise them about uh, the impact of that bill. Um, or there may be uh, some kind of an issue uh, relating to water quality regulations uh, that our members want to make sure that the Department of Environmental Protection in the state knows about. So we may be uh, uh, seeking some kind of discussion with them about about a certain issue. Um, at the same time, when they have um, a stakeholder process where they're inviting stakeholders to become involved uh, as they develop some guidance or some um, new rule or, or they're readopting a rule, we may also uh, alert our members that this type of thing is going on. Um, and we may be involved in attending those kinds of, of meetings. So um, you know, really, uh, we're really trying to help the members uh, do the best job they can for the ratepayers. Right, right. And so, um, uh, you know, so that's for the, it's, it's, it's designed to help the public agencies. It sounds like there may be some overlap uh, that, that, privately owned utilities might incur. So, so w w could you give us the landscape for who is providing similar services? Who, who are your members 
uh, kind of out there competing with, you know, what's, what's kind of the, the, the regulatory landscape, uh, The word fragmented is often used to describe how uh, water wastewater uh, services are delivered. Um, we have uh, investor-owned utilities, um, the New Jersey American Water, uh, United Water. Uh, they are delivering services um, mostly on the drinking water side to many, many people. Uh, and on the wastewater side, uh, the uh, services by and large delivered by public agencies. And uh, in, in this case, they are um, often uh, what they call authorities, um, you know, which is basically a, a model for um, a, a, a local government type of model that's used to um, create the structure to provide the service. Uh, then there are also uh, individual municipalities that may have a, a water or sewer department or water sewer utility, as it's also known. Uh, so it's a very, very varied. There are a couple of state agencies. Passaic Valley Sewage Commission, which I mentioned earlier, is actually a state agency. Uh, the New Jersey Water Supply Commission. So there are a lot of different uh, people involved in, in the water wastewater space. And um, many of our members are also doing solid waste uh, services as well. Um, and it's uh, it's an area where there are a lot of, uh, we have a lot of overlap. Obviously, we have a lot of the same concerns uh, as um, our friends in the investor-owned utilities, and, and sometimes our, our interests diverge somewhat. Uh, so it, it depends on what, what we're talking about. Right, right. And so uh, I, I'm going to key on what you, uh, I think, very accurately uh, described as a fragmented uh, a market out there. I think a, a lot of people in other states are, would agree with you that that the water industry is fragmented in their states as well. Uh, can can you talk about some of the problems or issues that your member systems are facing, um, uh, kind of in this in this fragmented marketplace out there? What kind of what what are the big issues that you kind of see for your member systems? Well, I think everyone has to deal with the issue of providing service at the best possible uh, value for their for their customers and uh, in and in in the um, in the scheme of things it's often very difficult to um, to convince people that that this is something that they need to, to pay for and that is uh, is something that is worthwhile um, paying increased rates for. So, so financing and funding is always uh, a big issue. Uh, and then um, also just dealing with whatever level of regulation may be coming down the pike um, is, is another you know, big factor uh, for our members. Mm -hmm. um, I would say uh, right now we have kind of, we kind of have two um, two areas, so to speak. I would say we have um, some systems that are very old and really need a lot of work uh, for whatever reason uh, haven't necessarily been invested in properly. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have systems that have been well-maintained 
Um, but I think that there are um, expectations about continuing to uh, maintain that system well. Um, there are more expectations related to asset management now than, than ever. And uh, folks you know, have to understand that uh, if they were um, kind of uh, operating just, just to, to operate and not, and not looking to the future when they were managing their systems, that they can't do that anymore. Um, and they need to you know, step up and, and do proper asset management. So um, in both cases, whether it's sort of stepping up your game to, to do more proactive asset management or uh, just trying to get an older system um, up to speed and keep it going, um, th these are both issues where people have to make a good case for, uh, for financing and for, for why they need financing. So I, that's probably the biggest uh, concern yeah. that we have going forward. Yeah, so I, I think the financing comes into a couple different buckets, and I think you hinted at, 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 at both of them, um, well, at least the, the two that I, I want to talk about. And the first is, you know, I, I, you mentioned the public and getting them to understand. And, and it, after a recent uh, podcast, I had a couple of people email me and, uh, about the human right to water. And, um, uh, you know, I guess my, my perspective is that, well, you know, the human right to water needs a kind of an asterisk there because it, you have to, the, the, the cost of treatment and things like that need, need, there's, there's a cost of that and the, the consumer needs to pay for it. Um, and so how, can you, can you discuss that? What is, what are you seeing out there with this, this thought of human right to water and how that relates to the utilities need to pay for the delivery of that water or the treatment of the wastewater? I mean, in my world, human right to water um, um, doesn't come up that much, not because we don't think that, that there is a human right to water, but it's, it's sort of, um, it's more nitty gritty than that. Um, people are um, on a day-to-day -day basis in my world trying to figure out how to uh, use the resources they have and, and finance the work that they need to do. Um, so maybe in a way I'd say it, it's almost a given for us, but it's a given that has to be put into the context of uh, practical reality. So um, we may spend some time talking about the idea of fixed costs, for example, uh, explaining to say uh, some uh, a local official or public official or legislator who says, well, why can't we just base our rates completely on consumption? Uh, and, uh, and, and we're explaining that, well, however you structure rates, you have to account for fixed costs. The system doesn't, uh, doesn't go away uh, when people aren't using it. So that's kind of how we're talking about these issues. We are uh, making a case for saying, the state needs to make water infrastructure a priority. Local officials need to be willing to go to bat uh, for the water system um, to, their, to their community uh, and say, look, this is something that we should be investing in and that it's important. Uh, and, and so all these folks have to, have to be willing to kind of do that 
if we are to provide everyone, regardless of their station or income, if we're to provide everyone with this basic service, we need to have the resources that allow us to do it. I agree with what you're saying there. The other piece of the financing puzzle I wanted to talk about was just access to capital and the impact on rates. Because, you know, obviously, if every system went out there and, you know, put in a Cadillac, you know, collection system or, you know, or transmission and distribution system, the rates are going to go through the roof. So I'm just kind of curious how you see kind of dollars invested in systems being put to the highest and best used in those systems. You know, what are you seeing? And I guess that kind of leads into asset management too. But so, so could you talk a little about how, how, you know, utilities in New Jersey are kind of uh, uh, attacking that, that issue? Well, uh, to some extent um, that they, they've kind of, as I was talking about earlier, some, some, some systems, uh, public systems, uh, and investor-owned utility systems have, you know, have always made this a priority. Um, and then um, others um, um, maybe uh, need to be brought along more. But there has been some legislative activity in the last couple of years in New Jersey that uh, is kind of um, pushing this idea of asset management more strongly. Uh, one of those is something called the Water Quality Accountability Act, which uh, affects drinking water. And uh, drinking water systems uh, with uh, 500 or more connections uh, need to do certain, um, uh, I would say, fairly basic uh, asset management activities. And now it's, it's, it's a requirement of law. On the other hand, um, there's also within the uh, Department of Environmental Protection, there's, um, there's more emphasis on using the, uh, the regulatory um, stick, so to speak, uh, to uh, to promote these principles of, of asset management and so forth. Uh, and I think our concern is that the rules be um, not pers- so prescriptive in terms of, um, you know, uh, how many times you should turn a valve or something, that we want to be able to have the flexibility to determine what's best for our systems. Um, So uh, if you talk about condition assessment and then you talk about creating some kind of plan, um, you want to be able to, yes, create the plan um, and uh, not have it be so prescribed by the state or proscribed, I guess, by the state that you can't uh, do what you need to do and put your dollars where they most need to go. So that's really our big concern is we want to we want to do asset management in the most uh, effective uh, way possible. And that means giving uh, having a little bit of sort of elbow room, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Allowing the utilities flexibility to figure out what the best uh, approach is for their particular utility, I think, is the the, the right way to go. I'm kind of curious about this uh, water quality legislation you mentioned in New Jersey is is. are, are lead pipes, lead fixtures, um, uh, are, are they addressed in that legislation at all? Because that's a, that's a huge issue uh, in, from, a, from a water quality perspective. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious if that's, that's been addressed. I, I don't think it's specifically mentioned in that 
particular statute, but it obviously is something of great concern to people here as well. And particularly in places like schools, there has been some concern about the lead in some of the service lines. And there's also been the legislature actually created a task force a couple of years ago that really spent a lot of time talking to us and a lot of other people within the water sector about a lot of these issues and trying to understand how best to deal with them. So there's been certainly some legislative initiatives along those lines as well. It's also focused on when the homeowner, how can we help homeowners who have the lead within their pipes? By and large, I think a lot of distribution systems have already dealt with that particular thing. But the question is, where is it, where are the kind of weak links, so to speak, where people within their homes, say, need assistance in getting their plumbing upgraded? Right. And I think some federal law is applicable to that. I know that in Indiana, there was a lead service line replacement that was authorized by the utility commission. And they started going in and doing the lead line replacements. And then all of a sudden, because they were using state revolving fund dollars and the feds were saying, if you don't do the entire thing, if you don't do the entire line and all the fixtures because of the risk of the disruption of the service line or the lateral and things like that, it's actually more dangerous to do it that way. And so they had to stop the program because they weren't doing the entire line. So it's just, I mean, it's a really complicated issue. And so I'm... It is. And we, you know, we're involved in discussing it and in the dialogues about it as much as we can be. And, you know, it's, as I say, certainly a big issue here as well. Let's talk about territory. Because one of the things I run into a lot are fights about service territory. Is that an issue in New Jersey? I don't know if it manifests itself quite in that way here. But I think that the, you know, the question of who will provide the service and what's the best model for service is certainly something that's being discussed here as much as anywhere. Yeah. And so they're, you know, you're guiding the conversation now. You're taking over my job, Peggy. Could you talk about, I'd like to explore that. Could you talk about how P3s are being either explored or implemented or perceived in New Jersey? Sure. So there are several approaches that are used. I think they're pretty common. One is that in some cases, a system will be bringing in someone to operate, you know, a community, a municipality will bring in somebody to operate. In many ways, a lot of the public systems 
uh, do public-private partnerships uh, with, say, some specific aspect of their operation. Um, Atlanta County Utilities Authority uh, actually does public-private partnerships associated with energy. They're very progressive in, in terms of uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency type of projects. And so they have some public-private partnerships associated with, with that aspect of their work. So I think that the types of uh, arrangements can run, run the gamut, um, but we also see where uh, a community considers just outright you know, selling its system. Um, we try to, I would say, uh, advise communities when these kinds of discussions come up, we try to advise them to really make sure that they understand all of the ins and outs of, of, the, um, uh, of the arrangement before they get into it. Um, our concern sometimes is that the financial analyses that can be done um, relative to these discussions is often um, does, leaves out important, important elements. Um, for example, uh, what, the, um, what the cost of insurance will be uh, in one arrangement versus another, uh, or um, what the, um, what the, whether overhead is, is properly accounted for. Um, when you have a, a, some kind of analysis that says, oh, we're going to save all this money. Um, we sometimes have concerns that 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 those analyses um, aren't aren't really thorough enough. Uh, we also want to make sure that people understand uh, the what they're really what they're really selling when they're selling their system, uh, and uh, do they understand that the sale price, for example, is going to be uh, is going to be recouped. It, within the rates within a certain time. Now, sometimes there's a delay. Uh, we're not going to change the rates for four years, that type of thing, uh, which is which is great. Um, but where our concern is, um, do people understand that, um, that 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 there's no free lunch, and that eventually that whatever that amount of money that they're that they're getting in lump sum, um, that they will have to uh, they will have to actually you know pay that back in effect uh, at, at some point later in the future. Um, obviously, uh, we want to argue that the public uh, model, the authority model, is a good model for delivering these services uh, and, that, um, and that this should not be um, discounted too easily. Uh, we think that um, public ownership and operation is is a worthwhile value to consider. Uh, I think every community has to make its own decisions, um, and you know, and it is up to them. But um, we 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 like to say that um, public ownership and operation is is a is a really viable and worthwhile alternative for a lot of good reasons. Um, and we realize that we have to make that argument on its merits, um, and uh, and 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 show that we are performing at the highest level, so that um, so that we you know we're sort of putting our money where our mouth is, so to speak. 
Right. I, I agree with you, Peggy. I think there's nothing inherently wrong with public utilities, publicly owned utilities, and nothing inherently wrong with investor-owned utilities. I, I think it, it's all, it all has to do with the management and how much responsibility they're willing to take and, and get out there and educate the customers. That, That's right. Yeah, so. run through some sort of contract, then the municipal responsibility there is to make sure that they are properly managing that contract uh, and, and, and not, you know, sort of being asleep at the wheel. Um, it, it, maintaining that, uh, the inf getting the information they need, making sure that whoever they're contracting with is performing uh, to that to that standards uh, that type of thing is is really important um, by the same token uh, when um, the uh, public agency is um, is submitting its budget to the state public agencies budgets are reviewed by the state every every year uh, that, that, that that this review is being done um, um, in, in a in a rigorous way uh, and that um, the agencies, the public agencies, the authorities are doing what they're supposed to do um, to fulfill all of their obligations regarding um, uh, how they use the public's money. Right, right. Uh, so, so let me switch gears on you. I, I, um, I think that was a great, great discussion on P3s. I wasn't expecting to have that today, but uh, I, I really want to thank you for, for guiding the conversation that way. Uh, uh, can you talk a little about... Uh, dealing with the legislature, you know, your, your legislators are not necessarily steeped in how utilities work or how utilities run. And kind of, can you talk about some of the challenges and and things of that nature that you uh, encounter when dealing with uh, the legislature? Yes, uh, and and I think I think you're right. Uh, legislators are not necessarily steeped in um, in all of the finer points of of running water, wastewater, or solid waste systems, and that's not uh, their responsibility. Um, they, um, I think by and large, most legislators are interested in doing the right thing, um, and they are concerned about issues such as economic viability and, and protecting public health and, and the environment. Um, they are also trying to balance those concerns against um, um, cost and what their what their rate payers, what the uh, people that they serve can 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 bear. So uh, I think our responsibility is to uh, help them understand uh, what um, the impacts of, of various proposals will be. And uh, obviously, we you know we have a certain interest in 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 one one thing versus another. Um, there was a uh, law passed, uh, it was actually signed earlier this year, um, and uh, it puts a, a cap on the, um, both the revenues and the appropriations of certain um, public systems, not, not all of them, uh, regional sewage authorities. And uh, it was something that um, we, it, it is something we feel is, is unfortunate because we feel that uh, it makes it, well, some of, some of the authorities affected are saying it basically makes it impossible for us to fulfill our, uh, our service contracts with our member municipalities. So, uh, so there's a lot that has to be sorted out about, about 
how this will be implemented because it really is tying the hands of the systems. Um, and uh, obviously that was something that we, uh, we tried very hard to fight um, against um, passage of. But the, I think the origin of that uh, piece of legislation was well-intended, which was we want to try to protect ratepayers from, from being um, overly burdened, and um, uh, particularly if they're, uh, say, low or moderate income folks, we have to, we have to protect them uh, from, from that. Uh, we would argue there are much better ways to do that uh, than an arbitrary 2% cap uh, that 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 also uh, sort of infringes on these service contracts. So this is dialogue uh, that that's kind of ongoing um, in in a couple of different arenas um, about you know how this this particular piece of, of legislation um, gets implemented. Um, but it's the kind of thing that uh, I think we where we are trying very hard to educate. Um, legislators about you know how things work and in fact when the bill was first proposed uh, we went in and um, uh, and explained some and and we did get some um, some amendments to the bill uh, that 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 improved it. Um, it it unfortunately did not go far enough but um, the point is that it is a dialogue these these kinds of uh, proposals, these bills that are introduced, uh, they're, they're supposed to uh, initiate some kind of dialogue and hopefully um, what comes out of it is good, good public policy. Right, right. So uh, I, I think all great insights on your on your part. Uh, I have just one more substantive question, and that is uh, we've talked a lot about challenges, and uh, let's talk about some of the successes that you've had because uh, I know when I was out there for uh, your uh, spring conference, uh, you you know you you were given awards out for some of these special programs that I think are pretty unique, and I'd just like you to to kind of address that if you would, please. Yes, well, thank you for the uh, opportunity to uh, to brag a little bit. <laughs> we uh, uh, we're in the third year of of a, a training program that we call the Environmental Professional Development Academy. I like to describe it as kind of a liberal arts education for people uh, in, a, in a, a water wastewater system. Um, in that, what we're trying to do is um, um, cross-pollinate. So, uh, so the authorities, our member organizations will select some employees um, who, you know, have management potential um, or who perhaps already are in some kind of a management position, um, but, uh, but they may not know as much about what goes on um, in, an, in, in, the, in the other parts of their own organization. So this training program was set up to kind of give this kind of broad overview. Uh, it's not licensing training. It's not, it's not, um, you know, wastewater 101. It's uh, it's um, introduction to administration and management. Uh, then there's a segment. Uh, several weeks are spent on finance. You know, how are water systems financed? Uh, what are the ways? How do you do a budget? Uh, what is the infrastructure bank, which is is how the SRF funds in New Jersey are uh, administered? Um, 
And then there's a track on human human resources. Um, and the, the final track uh, is on operations. And uh, so then they go for tours. Now, so you may have someone who has worked uh, in, in um, an administrative capacity, uh, customer support, something like that, um, who may have only ever once been at a plant. Um, and uh, this kind of gives them the opportunity to, to have a big picture um, understanding. So we're very proud of this program. Uh, it's been wildly successful. Uh, and um, we, uh, we also love it because it's a way of uh, addressing the succession planning issue. Um, it's creating a network. The, the group, um, the approach is a, what we call a cohort approach. Um, it's uh, instead of just going to a class, you know, it's not just a class on human resources. Um, the group actually will, uh, will meet and then the same group of 15 to 25 people will continue to go through all of the pieces of the program together so that when they complete the program, uh, they're, they're coming out um, with a, 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 a built-in network and a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, we owe a lot of credit to one um, of our executive directors, uh, Brian Valentino, uh, in, um, who runs a system in, in Manalapan, New Jersey. Uh, this, uh, this was something that was very much uh, created out of his vision and uh, was, um, it is really successful to a great degree because of his involvement. Um, one of the biggest things that I find uh, very striking about the people who have been, been involved in this uh, Environmental Professional Development Academy is their sense of pride and their sense of satisfaction um, that they have, uh, that, that they're doing something. If they didn't really think about it beforehand, they know now they're doing something that is really, really important and very worthwhile. And um, it's, it's just a wonderful program. And uh, it's great to see how people are when they come out of it. Yeah, I, I, that's one of the reasons I like being in the water industry is because you, you you get people who really care uh, for the most part and they, they're engaged. And I, I think that that just sounds like a fantastic program. And kudos to you and Brian uh, for getting that thing rolling. Um, uh, oh, you're very welcome. So, uh, Peggy, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think is important that you want to convey on the program today? Well, one of my observations uh, in, in the years since I've been doing this job is I don't think as an industry we talk enough about how much uh, management is required of water. Uh, in other words, I think we talk a lot about uh, the sort of end point. You know, you see the water coming out of the tap and, and people uh, have videos about, you know, what happens when you flush and that type of thing. And on the other hand, you also see lots of uh, pictures of, of pristine uh, natural resources, you know, a river, or a reservoir, uh, uh, that type of thing, uh, water bodies and that type of thing. But I don't think we talk enough about what happens in the middle. Um, I gave a talk once about um, about this topic to a, it was to a community group, and um, I was very struck by the fact that they had no idea, for example, how 
how much water is sampled, how a permit, a wastewater permit can be, you know, 90 pages long. They don't realize that there are people in laboratories who are doing work related to delivering these services. So I think as an industry, we need to talk about that particular thing more. And that's kind of when I have a choice about what I like to talk about, that's certainly one of my topics. All right. Well, great insights. And I agree with you. The more we can, you know, utilities have been silent too long. And I agree with you that getting out there and telling the story is going to be incredibly important for making sure our utilities are sustainable into the future from both a financial, technical, and managerial ability type of perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Peggy, you've been terrific today, especially in kind of bringing in the P3 element, which I didn't, I hadn't planned on. And so I applaud you for that. But for those who want to find out more about you, find out more about the New Jersey Association of Environmental Authorities, where can they go to get that information? Well, we have a website, www.aeanj.org. And, uh, you know, that's probably the best place for people to, to find out more. We have a conference coming up in November uh, and then another one in March. And I hope that sometime you'll come back. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, I, I'd, I'd love to. Um, and is information about that uh, Environmental Professional Development Academy on your website? Yes, it is. Okay. And I'm more than happy to to talk to anyone who's interested or to put them in touch with Brian Valentino as well. Great. And your contact information is on the website. That's correct. Okay. Terrific. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And I hope you have a uh, great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye, Peggy. Bye. Well, hope you enjoyed that interview with Peggy Gallows of the Association of Environmental Authorities of New Jersey. As you can see, she really knows her stuff. She was uh, uh, such a great advocate for the water and sewer utility sector in New Jersey. So uh, coming with that public policy background, with her journalism background, uh, she just does a a terrific job over there. So I really want to thank her for coming on the program. Uh, Well, tell me what you enjoyed about the podcast. Uh, Go to the show notes, thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one, three, four. That's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 134. You can leave a comment there or you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet about the hashtag, the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. You can tweet at me using my handle, which is at DTM1993. And again, as I said at the top of the show, <clears throat> please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever you know podcast directory you happen to listen to. Would love to hear uh, more about you know why you enjoy the program, and again, we're trying to get to 100 uh, ratings by the end of the year. We're currently at 96 as I'm taping this, so uh, thank you for all your support up to date. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.